Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the Production Advice website, where I try to help you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me again this week is John Tidy from reaperblog.net. John, how the devil are you? Doing great, Ian. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. This episode is kind of a follow-up to the What is Loudness episode, and it's called What Are Dynamics, or something like that, if I decide to change the title after recording this. <laughs> and yeah, it's about what are dynamics, because I'm always banging on about dynamics and saying your music should have more dynamics and be more dynamic, and you know, dynamic is the new loud and all this stuff. Um, and various people have quite rightly asked me what what actually are they and the thing is it's not as not nearly as simple as you might think so i'm gonna we're gonna get on to the fact that there are actually two at least two different types of dynamics um and they're both useful and they're both interesting and you need to understand both of them but let's kind of just start off john do you have an idea in your head of what dynamic range is the kind of textbook definition is the difference between the quietest sound and the loudest sound. Correct. So how does that relate to music? Uh, dynamic range would be a qu very quiet intro that builds up to a very loud climax. Just the difference in, uh, in that, those two intensities would be your dynamic range. Right. Good answer. And it's... Well, I mean, this is the problem, is that actually the definition of dynamic range is not that well-defined, because what you originally said, which is the difference between the loudest and the softest sound, I mean, if we think about a digital system where you've got dither noise, say, down at minus 90 or so... Don't say right the D word. I'm, it's fine, it's just a <laughs> passing thing, we don't have to talk about it, there's a whole episode for anybody who wants to know about it, just carry on as though it never happened. <laughs> um, okay we should give people some background so john and i have just been talking about the fact that i got drawn into a conversation today on facebook about the d word dither um and instant regret well no i, I mean because in the process of that i said something that i think was kind of reasonably clever and witty and i can't remember what it is now so i'm gonna i'm gonna quote myself off the internet which is kind of like shoot me now but um let me find it. I said this in the thread and I posted it to my Facebook profile um, and then immediately regretted it because it started a huge conversation about dither, which I didn't want. Um, but I said, we all want analog warmth, right? So why would you not use dither, which stops you from catching a digital chill? See, in a, in a <laughs> very sad and nerdy way, that's actually quite clever. Um, and anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about will want to go back and listen to the Dither episode now. Um, and we will put the link in the show notes, as always, on themasteringshow.com. End of tangent. So as you were saying, the the, the quietest part is the Dither noise. I, I th yeah, sound. I think in the complete extreme. I mean, actually, you, if you didn't mm -hmm. use Dither on a piece of digital audio, you could have effectively minus infinity level. So you would have infinite dynamic range, yeah. right? Which is kind of nonsensical um but even if you talk about dither you would have 90 dbs of dynamic range but of course the dither is not part of the music signal so i think then it makes it doesn't really go into the calculation of no of your dynamic range exactly um now here's where things get messy 
well, I mean, it's messy already because if you have a piece of music, I mean, you know, what's the quietest moment? I tend to think of the dynamic range of a piece of music kind of in my head as, you know, maybe, like you say, the difference between a quiet introduction and a chorus, but, you know, which bit of the quiet introduction? Is it the kind of the, the as soon as you can hear the synth drone come in or is it when the acoustic guitars have got going and just before the vocal comes in? Or It's it's very much not well defined. Um hmm. Where it gets really messy is back when uh, Friedemann Tischmeier from the uh, dynamicrange.de website unleashed the TT, quotes, dynamic range meter on the world. So I don't know whether I've talked in detail about the TT meter on the podcast before. I probably have because I've, I've talked about it. Uh, with reference to my dynameter plugin, which is inspired by the TT meter. The TT meter shows you something called the crest factor, which anybody who's listened to a few episodes of the show will know is the difference between the peak level and the RMS of the music. And the RMS is a pretty good indicator of the loudness. A better indicator is LUFS, loudness units, and then you have the peak to loudness ratio, the PLR. They're both indications of the crest factor strictly speaking it's not even the crest factor because the crest factor only applies to a steady state tone as many of my audio engineering friends like to tell me but lots of audio engineers talk about crest factor and they mean the difference between the peak and the loudness everybody knows what that means and with the loudness wars and levels getting pushed up the crest factor gets reduced and that's what can cause problems make you know the, the music quality can suffer yes that's all fine except that Friedemann decided to call his meter the TT dynamic range meter. And the instructions for the meter describe what it displays, which is the crest factor, as being the dynamic range, which is wrong. However, it's actually a really intuitive concept. When you say to people, oh, this meter shows you the difference between the, the loud and the soft, you know, the loudest moments and the quiet moments, and when it's getting too squashed, Everybody goes, oh, yeah, I get that. And they look at the bar getting squashed as things get louder and they understand how it works. So when I first saw the meter way back, I don't know, maybe 2009, perhaps 2008, I thought this is a brilliant idea. This is a fantastic way to describe the problems of the loudness war to people. And to so I was all in and I thought at the time it's not technically correct. I thought, ah, forget about it. You know, it's not an issue. And whatever we are now, nine or years later, um, I kind of almost regret it because lots of people have called me to task because I've talked about dynamic range. I have dynamic range day and I talked in the episode last year about why dynamic range day is not really about dynamic range because, well, because then we get into the two types of dynamics. It's one of those moments where I've been talking for a long time. Did that make sense? Yeah, it, it's not really doing... Comparing of quiet sections to the loud sections, it's more, I don't know, rounded to 300 milliseconds or something like a small window, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it kind of shows you what's happening at any one moment. So if if, yeah. if it's a quiet moment where there is a big difference between the loudness of the peak, it'll show you a large reading. And if it's a loud moment, you'll see that there's less space there. That can kind of be messed up if there's like a, a thick drone with a very sharp transient going on. So that peak to loudness ratio could be very, very different. Like you have a very high peak level 
but then a a steady state tone under it. I could totally mess up that. You're absolutely right. And that leads into what I mentioned before, which I think, I mean, you know, so I've, we, we've described the problem, right? Which is that dynamic range in the first place is not that well defined. Everybody now is talking about dynamic range as though it's the DR value that's displayed by the TT meter, but it's not really. And, and I mean, I deliberately decided to sidestep the issue by just starting referring to dynamics, which is vague enough that nobody can tell me I'm being technically inaccurate, um, but still uh -huh. kind of describes the same sense. You know, you can say the music is dynamic. It sounds dynamic. There are plenty of dynamics. Um, yeah. So this is where we get right down to the nitty gritty and try and define that. So basically there are two different types of dynamics. The type that you were talking about earlier, which is, you know, say the difference between the verse and the chorus is what people refer to as macro dynamics, meaning large scale, right? Um, you know, uh -huh. like over the course of a song or a, a movement of a symphony um, in a piece of classical music, or I guess, you know, the, the loudest and quietest sections of a film. Um, and actually the, the new loudness specification R128 has a value that tries to assess that, which is called the loudness range, which is the LRA. I never look at that. I don't have time for that. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. It's not, I don't Who find it- Who has time to listen to the whole song? <laughs> <laughs> I don't find it, I don't look at it either. I don't find it that useful for music, right? Because, well, no, let's come back to that. Let's, let's look, okay. we'll put that, put a pin in that for a minute. And carry on. So, so the, you've got the macro dynamics, which um, is the overall distant difference between the loud and the quiet sections. And the, I guess maybe one of the interesting things to say is that, as various researchers have pointed out, the main one being Emmanuel Deruti. I hope I've pronounced his name right. He had a an article published in Sound on Sound and has done various follow up pieces of research to show that the loudness range hasn't decreased because of the loudness wars. So if you assess, say, pop and rock music from the 60s and 70s, you'll find that the contrast in terms of loudness and quiet, the loud and quiet sections of the song, isn't that different. In fact, is, is statistically not really different at all from the contrast between the loud and quiet sections of a modern piece of music. Because it still comes down to arranging music. It's kind of a foundation of creating the song as those macro dynamics. Exactly. I mean, there are exceptions. Some of the really extreme examples, I mean, I, I apologize to Metallica because I keep coming back to them, but, you know, an album like Death Magnetic doesn't have as big a contrast between those loud and quiet sections as I think it needs and as you might expect and it, as have their previous albums. But that really is a pretty extreme case. That was kind of pushed to the max. If you take typical kind of pop and rock stuff that I would still say it has fallen foul, has become a victim of the loudness war. When you assess the difference between the, the verse and the chorus, you're right that those musical arrangement decisions, they're still there. They still work in the same way. This is another thing that kind of gets messy when you're talking about the loudness war and dynamic range in particular, because you people say, I have said in the past and all kinds of people say, you know, oh, dynamic range has decreased by which we mean the dynamics, and by which we mean the other kind of dynamics that I'm going to come to, onto in a minute. But quite a few people say, with 
perfect justification. Well, hang on, but you know, the music still has loud and quiet sections. What's the problem? So that's macro dynamics. The other type of dynamics is the bit that has been reduced by the loudness war. I think is the bit that makes things uh, sound noticeably worse and is called micro dynamics, which refers to the very fine scale uh, dynamics uh -huh. <laughs> of the music, which is typically, I mean, a good indicator is the peak to loudness ratio, right? So, um, yeah, the, you push the loudness up and up and up against the, the zero maximum limit of peak level on a digital format, and the peak to loudness is reduced. And basically, there are compromises. Once you go beyond a certain point, 8 to 10 dBs, it's almost impossible to push it any further without some kind of audible effect on the audio. And that could be a loss of impact. It's kind of dull, blunt, um, flat sound. It could be distortion, either harsh digital distortion caused by clipping or soft kind of saturated distortion or you hear kind of massive pumping because of heavy limiting or very heavy compression and you can combine various different types of those different flavors to achieve a really high level and maybe overall not have it quite as sound quite as bad as any one of those kind of done to extreme but it's always there there's there's no such thing as a free lunch once you get past this kind of limit you're going to hear that. So let's, um, I talked about this a little bit in an earlier episode, but if people imagine the difference between, let's say a snare drum and a Hammond organ chord, right? The snare drum, you just imagine the waveform has a massive peak at the beginning where the stick hits the skin and you, you know, that, that huge transient at the beginning of the snare drum. And then the sound decays very quickly away. Um, it has very high peak level, but it has quite a low loudness in comparison to that peak level, which is why lots of people like to use pretty heavy saturation and limiting and clipping and things on drums to try and get a bigger sound. The, I mean, the other classic example is a gunshot. I watched The Matrix with my eldest son for the first time recently, and we got to the classic scene where they're storming the lobby of the the skyscraper building and there's you know the ridiculous running up around walls and all the concrete being blown apart and the gunshots in that scene sound incredible but they sound incredibly unrealistic um if you do a recording of a gunshot it kind of sounds a bit like somebody clapping their hands and i remember reading a, a, an interview with the guy that who did the sound design for that film saying that i think actually he he spent ages trying to get the everything to sound the way that he wanted and he recorded kind of bullets going through multiple layers of different materials to try and prolong the impact and all the rest of it. And I think in the end, he he ended up pitch shifting a load of those gunshots down as well as all of the other processing. Um, anyway, so that's a really dynamic sound in real life with a very big difference between the peak and the loudness. In contrast, if you take a Hammond tone, especially if you don't have the key click at the beginning, you just think about a steady chord being played or a couple of notes the peak level in comparison to the loudness of that is pretty low, can be really low. So if you tried measuring it on the TT meter or on my dynameter, it would look as though it had really low uh, dynamic content. It has 
uh, very low microdynamics. And that's where kind of more confusion comes into this topic um, because sometimes people are, the sounds that they're using in their music naturally don't have very high microdynamic readings. Um, and they're kind of concerned that maybe they are ruining the dynamics of their music. And I have to explain that, no, it's okay. If the stuff sounds like that naturally, that's all right. And, you know, like any other kind of meter, you have to learn how to read these meters that are showing crest factor. Um, so, yeah, so you, we have these two different types of dynamics, microdynamics and macrodynamics. Did that make sense? It did make sense to me. <laughs> and I have fought with both of them over the years. I remember one thing, I guess it was a year ago, I was working on the mastering section of one of my Reaper courses, mm -hmm. mastering song that I wrote, and there's a big wall of guitars and heavy drums and everything. And I was running into the issue of trying to get Dynameter not to go into the red, <laughs> just where it sounded good to me. And you kind of assured me that I'm not pushing it too far. It's just kind of the way that those sounds are. And I can work more on the, I had to work more on the macro dynamics to, to kind of reduce the, the difference between the very quiet intro and verse and the heavy chorus. And I just kind of did some automation in the mastering to change that balance and have something that overall I liked even more. Right. Okay. So I, I, I think it was, I think it was like 15 dB difference. Okay, yeah, that's quite a big difference. So that's quite a, that's, yeah, like you say, that's quite a lot of macrodynamics. Now we can come back to the topic of loudness range because the example I started to describe when we were talking about it earlier and then said, we'll wait, take the pin out. Let's imagine we have uh, a straight ahead classic rock recording. So plenty of acoustic drums, maybe some acoustic guitars in there, you know, vocals, all the rest of it. And you know, it's recorded by somebody who likes his Toto and his John Cougar Mellencamp and his, you know, 80s hair metal. That's not me at all. Um, it is really. Uh, that could have really good microdynamics if it, if, you know, if, if it hasn't been heavily compressed and it hasn't been heavily limited or saturated and a nice clean signal. It can have quite a big difference between the peak and the loudness. But it might not have that much in the way of macrodynamic variety. If it's just a straight ahead, rocky tune without, you know, without any kind of really quiet sections or the rest of it, just Back in Black by ACDC, right? You know, all the way through, da-da-dun, da-da-dun, da-da-dun. Fantastic. Um, lots of microdynamics, but not much macrodynamics because not much contrast between the different sections of the song. It basically starts, goes all the way through and finishes. Now, People get confused because how do we describe that? Do we, I would say that has great dynamics because it has great micro dynamics. But somebody else could come in and quite validly say, well, no, it doesn't have any dynamics at all. It just does the same thing all the way through. And they mean macro dynamics. So that's... It's not a dynamic song, but it is a dynamic mix. Yeah. And, and this is why we need the distinction between macro and micro dynamics. Um, right. And I kind of... I hold off from it because, I mean, it's taken us about 15 minutes to describe just here talking, right, to a, an audience of people yeah. who've subscribed to the Mastering Show and 
like this stuff, otherwise they wouldn't be here and are patient enough to listen to me ramble on about it. Um, trying to get that across in a nutshell, you know, in a in a in a soundbite to people who don't really care and just want to listen to the music and enjoy it, um, and probably don't understand that there's a problem with the loudness wars and all the rest of it. You know, kind of. Maybe I'm being a coward about it, but it kind of feels like maybe that's too big of a mountain to climb, um, too big of a learning curve to to try and get people to ascend. But the the problem with that is you end up with this this possibility for dis- confusion and for for people to criticise what's being said because you know if they're thinking of macrodynamics and we're talking about microdynamics, you have um, a kind of a conflict there. I mean, to give the other example, EDM. You know, some, something like uh, Skrillex. Uh, the difference between the intro and the drop, in terms of macrodynamics, could be huge. Um, uh-huh. But when the drop happens, those microdynamics are probably crushed down to within three or four dBs. Um, no subtlety. No, exactly. It's kind of it's kind of binary. It's kind of on or off. Um, and actually, I mean, I, I don't mean to. That kind of sounds more critical than I intend. There is a ton of EDM that still has plenty of subtlety and interest. It's just that when it gets to the loud section, it's just flat out. And and it could have those microdynamics left in and sound even better, in my opinion. Um, I got into a huge debate about this on Facebook with someone as well. The classic argument that people come up with when we get into this topic is to say, well, EDM needs that slammed sound at the loudest sections to sound right. Um, and I really disagree with that. Um, and I have one example that I'm going to put into a video um, to, to try and demonstrate that. But I would like to even go further. I'm going to reach out to a few artists I know and try and see if they will uh, give me some stems so that I can try doing some alternative mixes of their stuff where I show that it's possible to get the right sound without maxing out, you know, without removing all the microdynamics in the loudest sections. So... Um, Watch this space. If you never hear me mention it again, it's because it didn't work. <laughs> but I'm I'm pretty confident. <laughs> that sounds that like it a will. great idea. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly an interesting challenge. The you know, but I need kind of there's so much skill and expertise that goes into into making great sounding EDM. You know, I can't just cook up an example that because it'll just be lame. I need some some real raw materials to work on. So I need to reach out to some people and yeah. get some some stuff to to test. Um, so yeah, the EDM is an example where actually the macrodynamics are pretty good. And people could say with some justification, well, it still sounds dynamic, meaning lots of musical contrast. But I feel like, you know, the microdynamics have been crushed to within an inch of their life and, and wish that they'd chosen to do it differently. That's kind of what I wanted to say. Um, what else do we need to cover in the topic of of what are dynamics? I guess hmm. it's to just explore a little bit more those those two things you know you, i think both dynamics both types of dynamics are valuable musically you know even in a song that is say a straight ahead rock track i think there's room for subtlety and variation and even in something that's flat out like edm i think having some microdynamic life left in the sound is still of benefit but maybe another interesting thing to say is that I mean, you kind of touched on it in the example you were talking about. You don't need, as with everything, it's a balancing act. 
you need enough difference between the verse and the chorus to make the chorus lift for the guitar solos to sing out or whatever it's going to be but it's often not as much as you think and and i 15 dbs probably is too much so to finish that example if i remember you had a song where maybe the macrodynamics range was a bit wide so there's probably the chorus was louder than it needed to be in comparison to the verse so when you push the overall level up to get the verse to sound right the chorus was pushed too hard right so dynameter was going into the red and that's what you're trying to avoid so the solution was to i think i usually start with the the uh the chorus and i think to get the peak level up to uh my limiter wasn't even doing anything probably just the amount of compression that i use in my mixing mm -hmm. and the types of sounds that were there so like to bring it up to minus one dbfs mm -hmm. the verses were still very quiet and there was you know it was it was saying i don't know 15 on dynameter for the verses and then like four on the choruses right and okay yeah so so kind of a, the same that i said but the other way around so if yeah if you start with the loud sections you find that the verses are too quiet but the solution is the same which is like you said to use a bit of automation to uh -huh. i mean you could use it auto automation on the stereo mix which if you get it get right can actually maybe be the quickest way to get this to work or the other thing would be to use more automation in the mix to lift those verses up somewhat so that I'm, i don't actually know off the top of my head what a, a good guideline difference would be but i'm thinking probably four to six dbs between a verse and a chorus uh -huh. might be in the right kind of ballpark i guess um you'll still have enough contrast and that then gives you the opportunity for the overall level to come back slightly which gives you more room for some microdynamics in the louder sections yeah so i should also say that this is instrumental so there's no vocal the vocal level is usually the same throughout a song and the music changes kind of around it yeah that's a good point and that's another good thing to mention is i mean we touched on it talking about the difference between say the snare drum and the hammond but you know every musical instrument has its own intrinsic dynamics before we get in with any of the, the processing like compression and limiting um so flute has a very low peak to loudness ratio drums have a very high peak to loudness ratio bass that's uncompressed is a very done you know you have a, you typically have a really big click or you know at the, the beginning of the note with the finger noise um, and the sustained tone could be quite a lot less which is why pretty much all bass players use compression actually in the amp itself or as part of their their processing chain you know to to get their sound uh same thing applies to guitars you know st strummed strings as opposed to the sustained tone there can be quite a big difference in peak to loudness there um so i mean a fascinating if anybody listening ha has dynameter something that i like to do uh is just drop it in on every channel of a mix you can learn a huge amount about how the dynamics of your mix work by just kind of watching those and trying to figure out what it means you know if you if you see one that's particularly low you think well what is that and why and have a think about what the sound is and you know experiment with putting extra compression or saturation or whatever in and seeing how it gets affected and then also looking put another instance of dynameter on the 
the stereo output and just kind of watching all of the individual channels dynamics and seeing how they relate how they contribute to the final reading i quite often find that raw drums will read something like peak to loudness psr of 14 on dynameter so it's kind of in the blue and the green area of the graph whereas uh say a synth pad might be much lower could be only five or six when you combine those two things together providing you don't boost the overall level to cause clipping or reduce the dynamic range any further ah, see it happened to me there i said dynamic range <laughs> reduce the dynamics any further the overall reading is going to reflect the most dynamic element of the mix so you're probably going to still see your 14 15 readings that came from the drums so it can be interesting to to watch how those values change as you build up different layers of the mix and see how they relate and that obviously can give you feedback on how much you might be processing uh, the music on the stereo bus if you have a bus compressor on the output or if you're using other dynamic processing um, if anybody wants to see what that looks like there's a tiny little clip in the dynameter trailer video uh, if you go to dynameterplugin.com we'll put the link on the, the show notes as well there's a little short sort of two or three minute video there that just kind of showcases what dynameter can do and there towards the end there's a clip where you can it kind of pans across a mixer looks very pretty i have to say i like it when it looks pretty <laughs> but uh you could also get an idea of what i'm talking about if it's hard to imagine um from what i've been describing I, have you ever done that have you ever or do you mainly use dynameter on the just on the the, the stereo it's mix? pretty much only from for mastering checks yeah it's oh, interesting yeah i mean it's something i want to expand i'm considering doing some because people quite often ask how the readings should look when you're mixing and you know it was designed with mastering in mind and the, the it's kind of optimized for the mastering situation but it can still give you information yeah i'd say it's less it's not like it's invaluable it is more interesting than kind of a deal breaker i think um in a mixing situation uh mm -hmm. but it's still useful you know i mean especially so every so often you'll let's say there's a plugin that uh, emulates analog processing um, and without realizing you're unintentionally running that really hot you'll see that kind of instantly the history graph will will you know it could be in the red or the brown um, and that can be a useful way of kind of catching sort of a sanity check for making sure that especially if you solo it up and you think well hang on that should be quite a dynamic sound and actually it's being crushed somewhere you can use it as a troubleshooting step vocals are another thing that have lots of natural dynamics the interesting thing about vocals um again this kind of comes back to all of this stuff is fascinating but you don't want to get too hung up on it definitely don't watch the meters and have the meters dictate what you do in the mix it should be the sound comes first and if it sounds good but it's going into the red consider that it's still the right way exactly um, especially if it's only going to the red occasionally um, and, and fairly briefly. I mean, I think if, if something is consistently pushing into the red, well, I mean, it's like any meter, you know, it's a, it's a warning that you need to pay attention. You need to think and get intentional about what you're hearing and go, is that right? And if it is right, then it's all good and you just leave it. But it might not be. I mean, one example of, of something that kind of might give you unexpected readings is I uh, recently did a master of a fantastic folk album, um, 
the beautiful lead singer's solo voice um, in some sections and and solo voice as well. If you're if if, if the voice is singing sustained notes, will have quite a low peak to loudness ratio. So even though the the master wasn't particularly loud and nothing was particularly heavily processed, just naturally when the voice became the most prominent thing in the mix, um, dynameter was showing quite low readings. And, you know, that's fine. I, You know, you notice it and you think, oh, that's nice. And you carry on. Whereas if it had been a bigger instrumental section of the song where everything was going full tilt and it was consistently pushing into the red and the brown or even the grey in the meter, that would be a moment where I think, oh, hang on, is that really what I want? You know, I should experiment and see how that sounds if I bring it back a bit and maybe use some automation to move things around a bit and try and get a more varied result. I mean, where are you at with it now? Because I know you struggled a bit originally and then you kind of, it clicked. And I remember in a recent episode, you were saying you're pretty comfortable with it. Do you do you still find there are things where you uh, get readings that make you think, hang on, I need to check that? Or is it now kind of to the point where you you pretty much you can expect what you're going to see and it it's just a kind of something just to keep an eye on i mean i haven't used it that much since our that last episode i talked about it. don't say that <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about back then i mean like i mean gen- generally now do, do you feel like you have a good grip of of what the dynamics are doing um or is it still something you you wrestle with I, yeah, I, I do know what it's doing now. And I know that I tend to prefer one dB difference. So dBs. I said it's a 10. I prefer nine. That sort of thing. <sighs> That's For a moment there, I thought you were going to say you like it when it reads PSR 1, which is like a little bit of gray string down the middle of the graph. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now, yeah, I, I would agree. I actually think, well. Is it, is it decibels, that number? Not, it's not. But it's well it is because it's dynameter has its own kind of scale doesn't it well it's loudness units i mean it it, 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 it is decimals because it's oh because of maths that i can't <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but but if i said it's a 10 um the majority of the song will sound right and if it goes up a little bit above or a little bit below for parts of it that's fine yeah whereas i tend to set it to uh, eight, which is the limited setting, but I don't push it right to the limit. And that also, you know, I mean, this is the thing. I should actually look at what I have mine to, <laughs> since I've got it here. I have mine set to eight, and sometimes it goes to seven, and that's okay. <laughs> it is okay, although I mean, it, that's right on the that's right on the limit. Um, I mean, it sounds it sounds silly, kind of quibbling about a dB or an LU's difference um but again i think it comes down to the amount of time that it spends in the red you know i don't want anybody to be agonizing over the fact that it dipped down to seven for a few seconds at a few different points in the song um Uh but if the whole chorus is reading seven or lower in my opinion you'd do better to well a you're not getting any benefit from that in terms of loudness and i also don't think you achieve anything Oh, so that's one other interesting thing I was going to uh, kind of discuss on this topic is that related to the fact that people say that certain genres sort of need a super crushed sound or a slammed sound or whatever, people also say that even with loudness management, 
where listeners or uh, streaming platforms or whatever are adjusting the playback level to, to undo the decisions that we make about loudness when we're mixing and mastering, even when those changes happen, people think that things that have been pushed harder, things that have been slammed, sound louder. And this relates back to the, the whole episode of, of what is loud, because that process of pushing the loudness up against the max, you know, up against the zero dB limit, like we said, it causes either maybe a little bit of distortion or a little bit of pumping or a little bit of saturation or whatever it might be, and overall increases the density of the sound. You are you are reducing the contrast between the loudest and quietest bits of the music in the sense that, you know, a drum hit is typically the loudest thing. And if you squash that right down so that it's kind of buried in with everything else, even though you wouldn't necessarily measure that if you were measuring the loudness range, the macro dynamics, even so, there's an, a sense in which the louder and quieter sections of that bit of music are, the contrast is being reduced. Um, my opinion is that that doesn't achieve anything once you go beyond that certain point, not in terms of the sound, except distortion and all the rest of it. And you can get all of those qualities at lower loudness levels, but you don't have to slam it and get rid of all of the microdynamics in the process. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, I think one of the unfortunate things about the loudness war is that there are side effects of crushing the microdynamics, which some people like and some people associate with certain genres. The, the, the kind of the twist in the tail is that people also assume that the only way to get that sound is to slam it and to push the loudness up and all the rest of it whereas actually if you like those elements there are other ways of achieving it and by keeping more microdynamics you get an added bonus uh, and that's even more worthwhile when there's loudness management in play because when the raw loudness has been taken out of the equation and everything gets played back at a similar level those microdynamics give you extra life and energy and punch and space in the mix. Um, so it can actually make the music stand out more. And that's why I'm constantly going on about encouraging people to have more dynamics in their mix, whether or not you'll listen to me. If they're not listening to Bob Ludwig, why would they listen to me? <laughs> okay, well, I've noticed that, or that it seems that with EDM and, and genres where it's really, really crushed as the norm, they add in a lot of other production elements to get the sense of dynamics, the sense of sections getting bigger, even if it is just completely flat. So things like sub drops and risers, and even using like silence as as an element sometimes. Not too, not too often, but as a way to make it seem more dynamic or make that song feel dynamic without actually having the uh, micro dynamics yeah that's a really good point and i mean i i have to say i have a huge amount of admiration for how much people can achieve by doing that stuff uh, i love that stuff this stuff is still effective when you're not crushing your master as well exactly but i, I feel like that stuff would is necessary if you don't have that 
and it's crushed, it, it, uh, it just feels flat all the way through. But adding that stuff in makes that crushed sound actually work. So Skrillex is one of my favorite examples of this because, uh, I mean, his, his kind of the, the bangerang era stuff of his uh, uh-huh. is, is one of my guilty pleasures in the sense that, you know, I'm supposed to be all about dynamics. And actually, I really enjoy that stuff. And I have huge admiration for the fact that he can achieve, you know, it has such limited microdynamics and yet it still sounds pretty clean and it still has impact and it still works. Um, I do kind of wish that he would kind of relax on the raw loudness so that he can put all of the, kind of similar to what you're saying, put all of those talents to other uses. <laughs> you know, it kind of feels like he must spend so uh-huh. much time. I mean, the anecdote I've heard, I don't know whether it's true, is that he actually side chains uh, the bass by hand. So it's not even like he uses a compressor to side chain the bass all of the automation is drawn in by hand. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, you know, it's kind of sounds plausible and yeah, I mean, it's, it's immensely impressive and immensely pointless <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in the sense that, yeah, there's, there's all that time and effort that goes into creating this amazing illusion of something where you could have the real thing. <laughs> but I think there's another, interesting point to make about EDM in particular, which is that heavy limiting and saturation and all the rest of it has become such an intrinsic part of the sound that lots of artists are using it in the production process. Um, and this is part of the the huge debate I got into on Facebook this week. I mean, you know, the, the guy I was talking to was arguing that actually that stuff is essential to the sound and you couldn't Skrillex couldn't get that sound without using that heavy limiting. Now, I haven't sat in on his writing and mixing sessions, so I have no idea whether that's true, but I, I am prepared to accept that that might be the case. But this And this is why I would like to have some examples to play with, because I still feel that even if you utilised all of those techniques through the... Because it's, it's, it's pretty much like sound design, right? You know, you and your processing uh-huh. samples and, and loops and, and all the rest of it to get these mad noises... Then you get to the final mix stage, and I still feel I did a, bl- a blog post about how to get more dynamics back into an EDM mix if all of the raw sounds that you have are already really heavily limited and, and compressed. And there's all kinds of ideas, and I think there's all kinds of benefits to be had from that. You know, just because you used those sounds all the way through doesn't mean that you have to then carry that to its kind of logical conclusion where the final master is also slammed uh, and. I'm saying slammed, and I know that that has a positive connotation for some people, but, you know, I'm just kind of using it in the sense, I, I think you can get that slammed sound without crushing the the microdynamics, which is what we were saying. So, yeah. yeah, I guess I need to put my money where my mouth is and see if I can get some examples and provide some evidence. Um, but, I mean, actually, I, I don't need to. There's I did a, a Spotify playlist. We'll put links to all of this stuff in the, in the show notes. I think it was within that post that I was just talking about how to get more dynamics into your EDM mixes with a ton of examples from over the years. And, you know, I'm using EDM in the broadest sense here, uh, you know, electronica, dance music in general, not just yeah, the kind of the Skrillex uh, and similar artists. Justice, the first Justice album, um, had a minimum PSR, peak, peak to loudness, short-term 
of uh, eight, which is exactly what I recommend. Um, by EDM standards, it's pretty dynamic. Jess Glynn and Clean Bandit, that's a really dynamic track by modern standards. It has all of those, it sounds right, you know, it, it doesn't sound wrong. I mean, I know it's not like Skrillex, but okay, so to finish off my using Skrillex as an example, I'm a big fan of, yeah, the Bangarang era stuff, whereas I'm not a big fan sonically of what he's doing these days with Diplo. Um, for me, the most recent stuff just sounds gritty and pushed and it doesn't work. It doesn't have the life. It doesn't have the energy. It doesn't have the same subtlety and excitement in the sound. You know, it, it just sounds overcooked to me. So I, I would just love it if, yeah, he would step back from that. How do you feel about bands or groups like Pendulum or The Prodigy? I feel like their older stuff was pretty dynamic in both senses. Maybe not so much currently. I haven't been listening to... Well, the latest Prodigy releases were crushed. Um, and similar to the Diplo stuff, I, I just don't really... I don't enjoy it as much. I mean, their earlier releases were... Um, so like the kind of fat of the land, that kind of timescale was really loud. In really crushed microdynamics. But again, I enjoyed that more. I felt like it still had some life left in it. Um, I still love that album. It's a great album. Chemical Brothers are another example of a band. I mean, I love the music, but actually... So, okay, Fan of the Land, I listened to, I enjoyed it. it the, the lack of dynamics, microdynamics never bothered me that much. Now, when I listen to it, I think, ah, oh, if only they'd given it a bit more room to breathe. Whereas Chemical Brothers, I've always felt their stuff has just been reined in, you know, held back by, I mean, with hindsight, by the lack of microdynamics, just because it's all pushed so hard. And it just, so one of my most popular blog posts um, is one where about uh, thinking about compression as like a boxer with a punch bag. And actually we talked about it on a really early episode of this podcast. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes for anybody who wants to hear it. Kind of related to that, I always think that, you know, the, the drums in a in a an EDM track, that it's like an impact. You know, the drum, the drum beat is like an impact. And for me, when when it's pushed too hard and when there's not enough microdynamics, it just becomes a kind of a thud. <laughs> you know, in my head, a thud is just a really uh -huh. dull kind of boring thump kind of sound instead of a i don't know a boom or a a womp or, or a a crash or a you know do, do you know what i mean it's i just feel that those there could be so much more excitement and energy in those sounds and there is in so much edm from maybe 10 years ago or more it was still fantastically loud and i never heard anybody complaining about lack of loudness in that stuff but it just had more energy more life all of these things that i i keep talking about so yeah old prodigy i can listen to and enjoy new prodigy it just feels you know it, it just it's just disappointing to hear a missed opportunity same thing applies to the new gorillas album i love the new gorillas album um and there's loads of stuff going on sonically and it's not like it's a disaster in terms of loudness well it's just a bit oh i wish they'd just given it a bit more room you know because it gets to the loud sections and it just doesn't quite 
left in the way that it could, which I, I just think is a shame. You know, it's, uh, I think I said in the couple of episodes when we were talking about Dynamic Range Day and the fact that some people were sort of misunderstanding the message that I was putting out when I'm talking about loudness and I'm saying, oh, loudness is pointless. And they think I'm saying what they're doing is pointless. It's, it's not that extreme. I just, yeah, it just feels, it's just a shame. It's just disappointing that they're, <laughs> I'm now thinking of the whole parenting skills thing. And it's like, you know, I'm not angry with you, Timmy. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I'm not angry with you, Diplo. I'm just disappointed. I'm not angry with you, gorillas. I'm just disappointed. I mean, you know, I've got plenty of albums in my collection that, and I regularly listen to stuff that is way louder than I would choose to master it. Um, and it's not like it wrecks my enjoyment of it. Is there anything where you it really bugs you? You said a couple of shows ago there was something you couldn't listen to because it was just so... It was one of the albums from Bleeding Through, which is a black metal hardcore band, mm -hmm. kind of. Um, and I think it was Devin Townsend that actually did the mastering on it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, no microdynamics at all. Mm. And actually not even any <laughs> microdynamics. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that the band did have in their earlier releases. Come along, artists. You can do better. Yeah. We should probably wrap up. We should probably wrap up. Good. Well, I think we've um, given people plenty of examples of things that we're disappointed with <laughs> um yeah i hope people will go to the mastering show and follow up some of the links because there's kind of resistance to these ideas you know you, you talk about this stuff and and people argue with me because it's I, well i mean they put so much time and energy into getting their stuff super loud because they think that that's necessary i guess you know it's kind of annoying for somebody like me to come along and say no no, no you should be doing it differently but I, I, th I think most people, when they when they engage with it and when they listen, do hear the benefits. Um, so yeah, anybody listening, I do encourage you to experiment with more dynamics in your music, uh, with more micro dynamics and more macro dynamics. See how you get on. And if it's a success, then please let us know. So John, thank you so much for asking interesting questions and being my co-host and for mixing and editing the shows. Yeah, this was a fun episode. Cool. Uh, thanks to Kaylee Law for supplying our music. Please do head to themasteringshow.com, sign up for the email list to get future episodes delivered directly to your email inbox. Take a look at what John's up to on reaperblog.net. Head over to productionadvice.co.uk for a load more stuff from me, if you haven't had enough already. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.